Hey everyone, it's Adam James from the Storyteller Podcast. I'm really excited you've made it this far. You've now listened to almost five hours of Arona. A big thank you to my newest patrons, Candy and Marin. I look forward to getting to know you in the Patreon forums. As I'm sure you can tell, I love being a storyteller. In fact, I've been making up stories since I was a little kid. I have fond memories of making up tales nightly and telling them to my two younger brothers until they fell asleep. I hope you'll visit my Patreon page and help me achieve my dreams of becoming a full-time storyteller. Now let's get back to Arona, right where we left off. Chapter 16 of Arona, The Underwater City The next morning, I was up on deck looking over some of the captain's maps of Arona when Gills came over to me and said, I'm home! Come look! I followed him to the bow of the ship and looked out but saw nothing but endless water. No! Look down! I looked over the bow, down into the transparent water, and saw a beautiful city deep below. As we slowly sailed on, we passed many colorful spiral buildings of all different heights. Towers reached up towards the surface. I saw many small round homes, white-lined roadways, and magnificent vibrant gardens with white coral fences. Thousands of men, women, and children, just like gills, but wearing tight-forming colorful outfits, swam from building to building. There were others riding upon sea creatures, bigger than whales with fat heads and skinny tails, while children rode smaller pink-colored creatures that looked like a mix between a dolphin and a seahorse. I saw a man riding on top of what looked like a giant black crab, using the crab's claws to lift large pieces of rock from the ground to build one of the buildings. Several of the larger creatures were pulling huge loads of goods and tightly woven sea nets. Many of the people noticed our ship passing over them and swam up towards us to get a better look. Eventually, we were sailing over a white, sprawling palace at the center of the city. Throughout the vast palace grounds were hundreds of courtyards with the most beautiful multicolored gardens imaginable. Some of the unusually large underwater plants in the palace gardens shot up hundreds of feet, almost reaching the bottom of our boat as we passed. I could see one giant, white stone tower that reached up from the palace to the surface. On the top of this high palace tower was built a large stone platform that reached just above the waterline. Looking out from the ship, it appeared to be a floating stone dock in the middle of the sea. A man dressed in fine purple and orange silk robes was standing under a small covered area, pulling up and down on a rope. He announces to my queen in the city that we have arrived. You see the ropey poles? said Gills. That lets them know we are traitors and friends. There is another one for danger. Now my queen will come up the great white tower to greet us. Other men and women came out of the sea from the city and helped dock the ship as the water dripped from their soaked clothing. Fifteen minutes later, a large delegation of beings began to surface, each of them carrying an air about them that made me think they were very important. They slowly made their way up the tower's wide stone stairs coming out of the sea. Their feet seemed to stick to the stone stairs underwater, allowing them to walk almost normally. Some carried weapons, others flags, 
and still others had instruments of noise that they started to play as the seawater spilled out of them. Finally, an old, frail, yet striking gray-skinned woman emerged. Her extremely long white hair was neatly entangled in colorful plants and was being carried by several men. Once she was completely out of the water, she was handed a cane, for it seemed she could barely walk under the full force of gravity. Gills whispered to me, That's my queen, Aya Lativa the Third. She is more than 2,000 years old. The captain waited for the queen and her entire extensive colorful entourage to surface. Greetings, good queen. I bring you your own. What items do you have for me to take home? As you know, captain, we Amazonians are humble people. Here. This is what I can offer you, replied the queen in a deep, slow voice. She turned and gestured with her hand, urging her assistants forward. Two men blew on strange seashells, and several of the large, slow-moving creatures I'd seen earlier began to surface. Their nets were carefully pulled up onto the platform and unloaded. Inside was a mixture of weapons, jewelry, decorative cases and chests, some sea stones that looked like pearls, and other precious items. There was also a small bag of those glowing stones, which I had learned was called Quan, the main currency on Arona. The captain quickly walked over to the mix of items. Yes, 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 no, 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 maybe, maybe, maybe so he said as he picked out the items he wanted. I can offer you three cups of arone, and in return, these I will own, asked the captain. Six shouldn't be fair, replied the queen. The captain signaled to one of the crew, who brought out a tiny barrel of arone. Great doing business with you, good queen. As usual, your gardens are the most beautiful I have ever seen, said the captain. He quickly signaled again, and the crew untied the ropes and started to prepare the ship. I was disappointed. We'd been here less than half an hour, and already we were getting ready to leave. Gills, is it okay if we jump in and get a better look at the city before we go? Gills said something in his language to one of the Queen's guards on the dock. They said it's alright. Go quickly. I jumped overboard, as did the others, diving with ease and swimming quickly towards the bottom. The city was truly magnificent. Brightly colored stone and coral were used to construct the buildings. To my surprise, the homes and buildings had doors and clear openings that looked like glass windows but made of a different material. A group of children swam up to me and smiled, pulling on my clothes and swimming circles around me. I got spooked for a second when one of those giant transport creatures went by, almost hitting me and letting out a long, deep moan. This one looked like a cross between a whale and a hippo with bushy eyebrows. The driver riding him smiled and waved as he passed by. 
I wish I could have stayed longer, but started to run out of breath and began swimming to the surface when a small boy grabbed my ankle. He smiled at me and held a fat, blown-up creature with many legs and a long snout for a nose. The boy grabbed the snout and put the suction-like end on my mouth, which immediately clamped on. Before I could take it off in disgust, the boy squeezed the creature, causing it to deflate as a rush of air went into my mouth. My lungs were immediately filled with fresh air. The boy dropped the creature, which scurried down below towards a large rock cropping. He then grabbed my hand, taking me down further into the city. He pulled me into his home, where his mother, shocked to see me, handed me a pink mushroom out of a bowl she held. She smiled and ate one, so I did the same. Eating something underwater was very strange, and I don't think I ever want to experience it again. I pretended I enjoyed it when I felt a tug on my sleeve. Gill signaled that we needed to return, and said something to the woman in a language of high pitches and clicks, before quickly pulling me out of the house. I held on to him as we swam quickly over to another rock cropping, and he grabbed one of those inflated creatures. He attached the suction to my mouth again, but only let out a portion of the air, leaving the end attached to my mouth. As we swam, the bristles of the snout tickled my mouth, and it was hard not to remove it. Halfway up, Gills let out the rest of the air before he detached the creature. Finally, I came up to the surface, gasping for air. All of you get back on ship! Your time is up! You're done with your dip! Yelled the captain. Hey, thanks Gills. What was that creature you gave me for air? I said, still trying to catch my breath as I swam over to the ship. They're called Brobos. It didn't throw up in your mouth, did it? The thought of it made me sick. I hurried and grabbed a hold of the rope ladder that hung from the boat, chuckling as I climbed up. I still wasn't used to our rhyming captain, and it was hard to take him seriously. Drew and Cubby were still in the water, so Gills dove down to look for them. Do that again, and your trip will be at an end, said the captain, obviously upset about the delay as Cubby and Drew finally climbed back on the ship. Oh, I'm sorry, mate, but I'm sure glad you did wait, choked Cubby. The captain didn't crack a smile and stormed off as Gills and some of the others laughed. Another week or so went by with much of the same. Endless water and long nights playing Pino. I actually found myself bored and was excited to get back on land. One night we saw the most amazing storm. It was a little scary because the scene became violently rough, but our ship did fine. What was incredible about the storm was the lightning. Instead of the normal white or yellow lightning from Earth, this lightning was again light blue, like we had seen before, and would shoot up from the water, connecting with the clouds and the lightning above. It was a sight to see. Three days later, I was awakened by the sound of one of the crew yelling. It had been raining the night before, so we were all sleeping below deck, and Jack and I hurried to see what the commotion was. When we got on deck, I asked what was going on. Land! It's Tregnac! yelled one of the men. We turned to look, and in the distance were the familiar tall, dark cliffs that seemed so common on Arona. It was great to see land again. At the base of the cliffs was the largest buildings I had ever seen. Thousands of archways spiraled hundreds of levels upwards past the clifftops before disappearing into the clouds. As the building went higher, each level was slightly smaller than the last. It looked like a drawing of the Tower of Babel I had seen as a kid. Built alongside the main building on small ledges of the cliffs 
were countless other small spiraled buildings. Even more structures were built atop the high plateau. Stay on the ship when we dock, instructed the captain, and watch out for that bloody rock. There were numerous stone docks that stretched out into the bay, crowded with strange-looking ships. Many of them were in the process of being built, and we learned that Trignac was famed for its shipbuilding capabilities. As we got closer, the size of the main building overwhelmed me. I felt so small in its dark shadow as we approached. There must be millions of people here, said Jack. We all stared in complete awe as the tiny dots of Trignac inhabitants moved to and fro. They completely covered the main building's outer walkways, which were lined with thousands of golden statues. I guess it's what would happen if people lived for millenniums on Earth? Populations would boom? The boat docked at one of the many piers, and the crew immediately started bringing up large wooden barrels. These were then attached to a type of crane and hoisted off the ship into a nearby spiral warehouse. More and more barrels were brought up. I couldn't believe how many. We'll sail much faster now, said Gills, walking over to us. What is all that? asked Jack. Arun, the biggest shipment I've ever seen delivered to Trignac, he replied. Can't we get off for a bit? I asked. I'd love to walk up that huge tower. Gills shook his head. It's not safe here. These people don't like outsiders. The captain just wants us to get the supplies unloaded and be off. There's a good wind now, and we're on a strict schedule set by Russo to get to Nodonia. The journey across the Great Southern Bay is long. It can be much longer with no wind. How much farther is it? asked Cubby. Farther than any eagle can fly. It's open water until we reach the other side. Should be about another week, if we're lucky. The people of this city looked different from anyone else I had seen on Arona so far. Gills explained that they never really left Trignac. They were all about nine feet tall and slender, with golden skin and pure white hair. They wore many jewels and had tight golden clothing with round hats. I watched the captain speak with one of them as the last of the barrels was unloaded. Gastov, we're headed to the South Seas, yelled the captain as he ran back up on the ship. Hurry up, catch me that breeze. I was disappointed to leave Trignac without even a moment to explore. As we pulled away, I felt a longing to return one day. For the next week, not much happened. Long, sunny days were followed by long, quiet nights. Early one morning, I woke with a start. Outlands! yelled Gills as he dropped down from the high middle mast. What is it? asked Cubby. I looked and could just make out land in the distance. It seemed flat and forested, with no sign of civilization. Outlands! The borderlands between every kingdom! This is the one that runs along the Dudonian border! We're here! We head for that river now! Gills said, pointing to a large river that spilt into the ocean. We all let out a cheer. With good wind, we should arrive in Udonia in just a few more days. That is, if we can get through the outlands without running into any bukans, he said with a menacing smile. Hey everyone, I'm Adam James, the guy behind the Storyteller podcast. I just wanted to say thanks to those of you who have sent me such nice messages over the past few weeks. 
a very special thanks to Edith, Fatima, and Katie for writing reviews. I'll see you all again soon, back here on Arona. <laughs>